We're in First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be kind of at the end of chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2. But they don't make one of those pre-made slides that say the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. So it just says First Peter 2, but we're going to start a little before that. Now here's what's happening. Peter has been establishing in the first few verses of this book kind of the theological foundation for our actions. And he started to break off at the beginning of last week and saying, okay, now remember, get yourself ready, prepare yourself. But he still went back to theology for a little bit. Well, in chapter, at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's starting to break away a little bit more. Peter is unlike Paul in that way. Paul has, you know, in the book of Romans, you have the first 11 chapters of Romans. And there in chapter 12, verse 1, you say, Therefore, in light of God's mercies, present yourselves sacrifices, living, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In Ephesians chapter 4, he'll say, Therefore, in light of all of this, then do this. Um, he, he usually about half the book, now Romans is a little more than half, but about half the book for Paul is theology and the other half is application. Peter's not that way. Peter jumps into application before he's done with the theology, but then the application will remind him of theology and he goes back. He, he's what you would, we would call more stream of consciousness. He's a writer that just kind of writes what comes to mind. As it flows out, he just says it. Now, we have some um, evidence that Peter has matured greatly from the days when he was following Jesus as a disciple. And we'll get to some of those in a little bit. But we still see the same kind of guy that just says what comes to mind, right? And remember, we have somebody probably writing this down for him. And so he may have been saying, and um, we need to say this, this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't forget that I had this, okay? I, I was yesterday at that ministerial alliance meeting um, they they had food, and one of the ladies there wanted the recipe from the lady that had cooked it. And so I could hear them. They were coming. She was sitting next to me. So I could hear them talking about it. And they goes, well, then you take this, this, and then you do this. Oh, but don't forget, but before you do that, you need to do this. And then you need to add, well, but then there was that back. And, you know, the, I don't know how, I don't know what it's going to turn out like when she actually cooks it. But, you know, the, you know, people that just kind of talk stream of consciousness and jump back and forth. Peter kind of does that with theology and application. So in chapter verse, chapter 1, verse 22 he says, now based on the fact that you've obeyed and you've listened to the Lord and you've been purified with sincere love of the brothers, then you need to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another, and I love this word, unremittingly. How many of you have used that word in the last week? I am unremitting. All right? The reason I like that word is because there's an interesting word here that um, we'll get to in a second that, that's hard to translate for us, hard to describe for us. What I want you to see first is he says basically that we are to love one another because we have been loved. He says because of what you have in Christ, because of what has happened in your life, the way he phrases it here is you have obeyed the truth. In other words, you have agreed to the truth. You have done what is right. You have given your heart to Jesus. You have followed him. You've become a disciple of him. Having purified yourself, that just means that God has purified you. And the reason you were purified was for love. 
It's almost like, you know, he's talked about this praise that we give to God. It's almost like he's saying, listen, don't forget the reasons God saved you. The reason God saved you was twofold. One was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to give praise and honor and glory to his name. And the second reason he saved you was to love one another. And he says that we are to love, that we were saved for sincere Love. That's one of my favorite words in the Greek language. Sincere there means without wax. Now, some of you all probably heard me talk about that before. But it means without wax. Wax in their days was used as a filler. And so you would get medals or rings or statues that had in them wax. In fact... You could almost call wax the cubic zirconia of the biblical world. Okay? It it looked good, but when you examined it closely, you realized that's not all that it's cracked up to be. Sincere says that it is without wax. It is the real deal. The real thing. And it says, love one another unbelievably remittingly the actual word there is without completion without ending the same concept used when we're told to pray without ceasing this is what peter says that of a place of sincerity and he'll say with purity we are to love one another and the idea here is Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with a love that never ends. That always hopes. That always does what is right. That always works for the best. And then it says to do that with a pure heart. And I love that word pure is used twice here. First, it says that we have been purified, right? And with a pure heart. It says by obedience, God has purified us. And the reason He purified us is to be able to love one another. You know, in our society today, we call things pure that aren't pure. Right? Now, I'm not just talking about ethically. I'm just talking about in general. For instance... Y'all have heard me say this before, but it's good for a good gag literally every few months. This is one of my favorite books. Some of you went through a study with me on this, John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. And he reminds us that what you eat is not pure. Now, even in some of the things we advertise, ivory soap is what? 99.9% pure. You know what 99.9% pure is? Impure. Right? If there is any impurity in it, it is impure. Purity is kind of like being pregnant or dead. You can't be part, right? You either are pregnant or you're not. I I don't think they make one, but if they do, it wouldn't be accurate if someone took a pregnancy test and it said maybe. Because you are or you're not. Dead. You either are or you're not pure is one of those things you either are or you're not but so just think about this next how many of you like apple butter anybody like apple butter 
I used to love some apple butter from the apple barn, right? Did you know that um, if the mold count, these are federal guidelines for purity, by the way, for apple butter. If the mold count is 12% or more, if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, if it averages five or more whole insects, but now that we're not counting mites or aphids or scale insects, per 100 grams, then the FDA will pull it from the shelves. Otherwise, it goes on your English muffins, all right? So if it's got 11%, three rodent hairs, and five, four insects, it's okay. Coffee beans. Anybody drink coffee? Coffee beans, they'll take that off the market if an average of 10% or more are insect-infested or if there's one live insect in each of two or more containers. The FDA says they don't, people don't like getting live insects in their containers. Mushrooms. Anybody like Mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms. The Madison Creek Elementary lunch provider doesn't like mushrooms. Is that what I just saw, Angie? I'm glad to know that. My boys are, will be happy. They can't sell mushrooms if they average 20 or more maggots of any size per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. They can't sell them. If they average 19, or 19 they, they can sell them, but not 20. Fig paste... If there are more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams, they will toss out the whole batch. Hot dogs? You don't want to know, all right? My point is, purity, true purity, is a very difficult thing to grasp. We're not pure on our own. There is none of us in this room that is pure on our own. But Scripture says we've been made pure. And by that love that has made us pure, we need to love others. It goes on to say this. You have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable. And the idea is the imperishable seed within us ought to lead to unremitting love outside of us. It reminds us that the flesh is like grass and the glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There are a couple of things in there. First of all, we need to realize that this body is not permanent or eternal. That's one of those things, the older you get, the more you come to grips with that reality. And in fact, at some point, usually we get to the point where we say, I'm ready for this to be discarded, for my eternal rest to begin. I saw this week... um, one of my professors at Southwestern, a guy named Dr. Roy Fish, passed away. Dr. Roy Fish was the evangelism professor at Southwestern. When I got to Southwestern, somebody says, you are unlucky because Dr. Fish is on sabbatical. So it'll be a year before you can take Dr. Fish. I remember Dr. Fish coming in the first day of class that I had him, second year I took him, best class I took at Southwestern Seminary. Walking in, and even at that time, now I've been out of seminary for a couple of years now, I, uh, that would have been 1999, so that's 13 years ago. Remember Dr. Fish walked in carrying a speaker because in 1999 he was too weak to get through a lecture using just his voice. We're talking about a pretty small room, so he had a microphone clipped to him that went directly into a speaker. And Dr. Fish was one of those guys 
that uh, he just stood at a podium, held the podium, and spoke in a not, he didn't have a dynamic voice, but every word he said was important. And I remember even then Dr. Fish saying, I feel like I've got to give everything I've got every day because I don't know when this body is going to fail me. Now, it lasted him 13 years. I saw Dr. Fish actually, um, I saw Dr. Fish when I was in Ripley. He came and did something for our association. I sat down, I had, a, had supper with him. We talked. And he, in the class that I took, it was a small room, but we pa- they packed every chair in that room with students. And it was one of those, you know, I don't know if you know this, but at seminary, you'd like to think that every day everybody goes to every class. But seminaries, like any other college or master's program, you, the first day the ch- every chair is full, it's kind of like discipleship training. First day, there are 200 people in discipleship training. Well, no, but there are 20. And by week eight, there are four. And we've made these little small groups, and by the time we get to week eight, People are just making their own small group because it's just one small group, all right? Well, it's every class usually at seminaries like that. Dr. Fish class, full every day. And I remember telling him something about how much longer, and he just said, I'm going as long as I can. This will wither. But then he said, my comfort is knowing that when I share what it means to share the gospel, that will last forever. And he said, I want my body to last long enough that I can do all that I can to say what I need to say. That'll last forever. Grass fades. Some of our grass died. It's come back to life. But it'll die again. This verse comes to mind every time I mow the yard. Because when you first mow the grass, it's still green, right? Eli is taking on his first chore with yard work. He is the grass blower extraordinaire. He's got one of those, you know, corded blowers, and he gets out there, and he just blows the grass away. And I think about how easy it is to do that. He says, invest in one another, because the things of this world will pass away, but those kind of investments will go on. Chapter 2, verse 1. He then starts by saying, here's some things that you need to do to grow. And chapter 2, verse 1 is one of those verses that you can read over and not think about, but if you really think about it, it's terrifying for most of us. In fact, it was Mark Twain that was once quoted as saying, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand verse 1 so rid yourselves of all wickedness all deceit hypocrisy envy and all slander peter is saying that the first step in true repentance and growing with the lord is to cast off or get rid of evil turning from it the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 encourages us to lay aside every weight, especially the sin that so easily entangles us. And what's kind of interesting here is when he talks about malice and hypocrisy and deceit and envy, and speaking evil or slander, all of those are evils 
that go directly to harm relationships in our lives. All of those are things. I mean, you think there, there's, some, there's some sins that you commit against God. And not that these sins aren't against God, but God knows when you're trying to deceive because God knows all things. So you can't deceive God. But you can deceive your brother or sister in Christ. God knows when you're being a hypocrite, right? Because he knows all things, but your brother or sister in Christ may not. And he says for a community of faith to really thrive, you've got to have this love in there that will pass everything you can imagine. And what he says is you've got to get rid of these things that could tear apart the people of God. Could rip it at the seams. Now, I know that y'all have been part of a church long enough to realize that the church is not exempt from hypocrisy and deceit and slander. Now, sometimes it's couched in spiritual terms. Calling up a friend and saying, we just really need to pray for so and so. I heard what they said the other day and they just didn't need to say that. We need to really pray for them. Or sending out an email or a text message. Not confronting an issue, but slandering or being deceitful or dishonest. He says you've got to get away from all of that. And then he says this, and this is the second thing you need to understand. He says that we need to crave spiritual milk. Any of you here have a two or three month old at your house? I do. Right? And when she cries most of the time, you know what she wants? Milk, right? And here's the thing. Susan has fed all four of our children, and she is feeding Ava. And Ava really isn't considerate about what's going on with Susan when she's ready for her milk. She doesn't look up in the middle of the night and go, Oh, Mommy's asleep. I think I'll just wait till morning. Right? If I happen to be watching the Tennessee football game and she decides it's time for milk, she doesn't think, I'll just wait till the next time out and then I'll ask Dad for some milk. When she wants milk, she wants milk. And she lets us know, right? And here's the thing that's interesting. If we don't get that to her right away, she escalates her cries for milk, both in volume and intensity. And heaven forbid we wait two minutes, she will flat lose her mind sometimes. Anybody ever seen a baby lose their mind? You know what I'm talking about. We were in, uh, we, we went to Target about a month ago. We were going to make a quick run to Target as the entire family got in Target. We made it through Target. And she started to whimper in a little bit, but we got her in the car and we think, oh, she calmed down. It's going to be all right. And we were at the Target at Glenbrook. And we turned on Center Hill, Center Point Road, coming back, turned on Caldwell, and she flat lost her mind. But there's nothing you can do about it. And Eli's back there, it's okay. I'm like, she don't want Eli, I know that. What did she want? She wanted milk. Well, Peter uses that example. To say that ought to be the way we crave the Word of God. That it is vital to our life. It is necessary for growth. It is the thing that we need more than anything else 
if we're going to live passionately devoted to the Lord. He wants us to realize that that we have to crave after something, and we will. And that in order to live for the Lord, we have to crave after that spiritual nourishment. Look how he says it. It's unadulterated. Do you know what the word for unadulterated is? Pure. There's a theme developing, right? Unadulterated spiritual milk so that you may grow into your salvation. The idea is that salvation for us is not a last-minute rescue operation. It's not a one-time decision that has no lasting effects, but that it is something that as we go through life, we will continually be learning more and more and more about. In fact, there is not suggesting here that these are brand-new Christians and they've got to get some infant baby milk. The idea is not that this is just for infants. It is that we ought to crave the Word of God for growth as much as an infant craves milk for growth. Do you know what they label now kids that won't drink milk, either bottle or mother, and begin to lose weight? They just label them as babies who have failure to thrive. When you look around the American church today, there are a lot of people that if they had to walk around with what's truly happening in their lives, you could sum it up in failure to thrive. Because they are not desiring or seeking the things of God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the 25 of you that are here on Wednesday night. But we don't need to go, well, we're the good ones. So, yeah, all you others out there. Do you crave the Word of God? Do you desire it? Do you demand it? Is it the thing that you have to have more than any other? Here's the last thing says in there that he begins to talk about this cornerstone. He talks about this new building that's come. Come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable God. You yourselves are living stones, being built into the spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to spiritual sacrifices. And then he goes on to say, listen, you have accepted the cornerstone, which is Jesus, but there are those that have it, and don't worry about them. They're going to trip up. But it reminds us to embrace who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, to love it. He says there in verse 9, but you, talking to those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we live in a culture that talks more about self-esteem and self-actualization than any generation previous. We're a little past the I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay moments, but we still live in a world where we don't want anybody's feelings hurt. Everybody's got to feel good about themselves. You know, people make jokes about everybody gets a ribbon. When I was growing up at field day, you didn't get a ribbon if you didn't win. You got a blue ribbon if you won. What did you say, Brenda? Well, you know, most of us grew up in civilized places, but but now everybody gets a ribbon. And here's the thing. God is fully about us understanding who we are 
but it has to be grounded in who we are in him. And look at what he says we are. A chosen generation. A race. He has decided that he loves us to the point that he wants us. He has chosen us. Speaking of field day, when I was growing up, there was always that awkward moment at PE when you would choose sides for baseball, football, basketball, whatever, right? I'll take Cliff and next guy takes Steve and there's always that kid at the end, right? God says, with me, there are no kids at the end. You're my first choice, all of you. Chosen generation. Then a royal priesthood. To the people that he was writing, who were probably former Jews and Gentiles, they would have thought, that is impossible. What's the only way you become part of the royal family? You're born into it, right? I mean, we just saw a big royal wedding, but even prince, you know, princess, I guess she was duchess. She's not princess, I'm not duchess. Kate, I'm, I'm looking at you, Miss Joan. You don't know the British hierarchical system of royalty. Neither do I. But she's something. But she can't be, she can't attain the highest position because she married into it, not born into it. He said, how can we be royal? And then he says priesthood. When I say priest, what do you think of? Catholic Church. Some of you that didn't grow up in the Catholic Church have different views of it than some of you that grew up in the Catholic Church, or at least are real familiar with it. And here's the thing, the kind of this disservice that Catholicism has done is that it has introduced to us concepts of what a priest is that isn't what the Bible teaches the priest is. Here's talking about an Old Testament priest. An Old Testament priest had some priorities. One was they were direct contact with God. They had access to God. They were to be the bridge that brought people into the presence of God and they were to lead people in acknowledging who God was. He says that's your job. You're king and prophet. Queen and prophet in the kingdom of God. A holy nation. Holy one means set apart, set aside for the purpose of serving God. Remember, some of you have been, that's what we've been talking about in the last two weeks on Sunday nights, that set apart for God. My boys are watching a series of films. I've mentioned a couple times called What's in the Bible. And uh, they, they've gone all the way through the Old Testament now. But they, they do as good of a job as any as I can see on what holiness is and is not. It's in the third video and they're talking about the Levitical Code and what holiness is and and uh, they begin by saying it's something set apart for God. So they say, oh, it's just something set apart. And so one of the guys says, well, I'm setting apart my mashed potatoes. So I have holy mashed potatoes. <laughs> does it in a real deep voice. And they go, no, it's not holy mashed potatoes because they're not holy for God. They're not set apart for God. Just to set apart doesn't make any difference. A holy nation is one set apart for God. And then it says, his prized possession. The summer before we came to pasture here, Luke won the fastest baby crawling contest at the Lauderdale County Tomato Festival. We got an email. We got an email that said that they had never seen a baby go as fast as Luke did. He lapped the field four times. They put, you know, one parent on one end, the other parent on the other. He went to Susan, back to me, to Susan, back to me, to Susan, back to me, on the way to Susan before another kid got halfway. So he got a trophy. He got a trophy. Well, if you've seen Luke, it's not, it's not surprising. He, he got a trophy 
And Luke loves that trophy. It's a red, it's not very big, but it's red and it's got a crawling baby on top. It's one of his prized possessions. Maddie has fallen in love with a bunny. Her special little bunny. It's got a real creative name. It's Bunny Bunny. That's what she calls it, Bunny Bunny. And it goes everywhere. It's her prized possession. Scripture says to God, we are his prized possession. Remember Max Lucado writing, if God has a refrigerator, your picture is on it. And you think about it, you only put on your refrigerator things you really care about. In fact, sometimes you put things on your refrigerator that aren't the greatest artwork, but they're from your prized possessions. So that's what we are to God. And I want you to think for a minute, okay? What other things could be said about you that would be better for your self-esteem than those four traits? Chosen by God, royal, direct line to the Father. His prized possession set apart for Him. When you start just talking about how good you are, the truth is the only goodness we have comes from the fact that God, even though we are unworthy, deems us lovable. God loves ragdolls. Because that's what we are. Peter says, in the midst of that kind of love, build one another up. Love one another. And crave the spiritual things of God. Let's pray together.